priest, uh, John Sponge, Shelby Sponge, maybe you've heard of him, uh, a Catholic uh, priest, uh, Matthew uh, Fox, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, you'll have Methodist. You'll also even have some Baptists uh, from, from a guy, last name by the name of Wallace, and also maybe you've heard of the man uh, by the name of Tony Capolo. Uh, so you'll have some progressive. Now, there is not a, again, there is not a, uh, they're not going to agree on everything. Okay? But one thing that, that is very true across the board would be that they are very socially minded uh, across the board, that they feel like the, the, like the gospel itself uh, is, is, is following Jesus' example of how to be uh, a better person in the world that you have. Now, you say, well, there's nothing really wrong with that, being a better person. Of course there's nothing wrong with being a better person. But there's a lot of other things that, that just uh, uh, to the place of, of denial from, from denial, denial of the, the uh, uh, validity of the, the Word of God, that the Word of the God mostly is metaphor. There's not, it's not to be taken literally. Uh, that there, the resurrection did not happen. The virgin birth did not happen. Uh, Jesus, as I said even this morning, Jesus did not come to die upon the cross for our sins. Um, Adam and Eve are not real people. They didn't exist. Um, there is no such thing as original sin or uh, fallen nature of man. Uh, I, I mean, just keep on going on and on, uh, you know, across the board of these things. Uh, it really is an attack. And, and I want to tell you, even if you do something locally, let's say you decide to, and to go to the, the Fountains uh, uh, Methodist Church and you want to look what they believe in, you will not find a list of things that they believe in. They do not give doctrinal things. They don't believe in doctrinal things like that. Uh, uh, but, you know, I remember listening to the pastor of that church and he, he was talking about uh, the fact that Jesus was not literally born in a born of a virgin, although you could believe that he's born of a virgin, that would be okay with him. But he said there's, there's at least four different possibilities that could have happened, and they're all legitimate possibilities and acceptable in a Christian perspective. And one of those cross possibilities was that, that Mary was raped by a, a Roman soldier, and Jesus is a result of that. So that supposedly is a legitimate approach or way you can believe about who Jesus is. It's, it, it's really, really bad. I mean, you know, when we talked about the the uh, the um, word of faith people, it just some of, I know some of those things really just disturbed you. Uh, but these guys, these guys are, and the reason we're talking about it, it's just way out there. But it's becoming more and more acceptable. Uh, they would they believe in in, in the uh, evolution. Uh, they believe that any thought less than evolution would would be so be, be shown as uh, as you and I being uh, ignorant, uh, they believe they're very they believe they're very smart, very intelligent, and they may be from a from a human perspective be be those things. But uh, uh, they certainly have no problem with homosexuality. They have no problem with uh, with uh, people being transvestites. Uh, uh, they they support that, and they see no no limitation in any of those things. Uh, so with those things in mind, I just sort of give you a, an overview. Now I'm gonna I want Try to deal with you tonight in a, in a few minutes that we have with, uh, first of all, what the scripture says, 
and then maybe some things that you can take home with you. Just just so you know what when you hear progressive Christianity, I want you to know what it is, so you know uh, how to stand in the truth. Well, the interesting thing that I think before we go into this is if you are grounded in the Word of God, when these things start saying, you don't have to be intimidated by someone who supposedly is super quote super smart. They think they're super smart. Just stand in the truth. Remember, you don't have to you don't have to defend the word. The word stands on its own. You just stand in the truth of what you know that is true. So let's look at a couple passages. First of all, First Timothy chapter four, verse one and two, and we'll hear what Paul has to say, warning us about about this type of thing. And I could use a whole bunch of scriptures, but I just picked one out of First Timothy and then one out of Second Peter. And here's what it says: Now the Spirit especially says that in latter times. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they they have they're not even they're not even sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit or the Word of God anymore. They've 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 gone beyond even even being able to be touched or being led by them. And and some of the things you're going to hear tonight will will you'll see the reality of. Now go to Second Peter. Uh, chapter 2, we'll look at verse 1 and 2, and then we'll go to verses 18 and 19. Verse 1 and 2, Peter says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as as there were will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who, who, who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of, of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Don't be surprised that we're, we're in that last day. Don't be surprised that more people would rather do this because it's acceptable than to follow uh, the, the truth of God's word. Look at verse now, verse 18 and 19. And I apologize. I've got a lot, lot to give you tonight, so I'm going to try to move through this. Okay, verse 18 and 19 says, For when they speak great swelling words of, in, of emptiness, they allure uh, through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness and the ones who have actually escaped uh, from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is, he is brought into bondage. So Peter talks about this. Paul talks about this. That, you know, and the bottom line is just this. When you deny the truth, when you deny the truth, you'll believe anything. And while you'll convince yourself that you're being very intelligent, that you're setting people free from uh, from even even what some of these people would say, even from the the, the narrow-mindedness or the even the thought of believing that the Bible is literally true, you're actually put, they'll say you're actually putting them in bondage, and they will be set free if they would be set free from believing such things. But notice what he says here: that they have deceived themselves, they've deceived other people. People will follow them. Uh, they are teachers of destructive heresy, and though they think that they're free, they're not free at all. all right? So, let's begin and look at the progressive Christianity. And I know you have your, uh, you have your, um, I've given you copies of the things uh, that, are, that are here tonight. Progressive Christianity, this is their own description of it. Progressive Christianity is an open, intelligent, and collaborative uh, approach to Christian tradition and the life and teachings of Jesus that create uh, pathways into a, an authentic and relevant religious experience. 
Now, that sounds that sounds okay. The problem is it doesn't talk about anything that's essentially true. Now, Fred Plummer is, and he, you'll see him, I got a little tape that you're going to look at tonight, that he will talk about, he will talk about uh, Jesus, but he is, he's kind of the, the teacher of this, uh, this uh, uh, pr- uh, progressive Christianity. Um, so we begin by looking at their view of God. And, and so when they speak of, of God, the, 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 they would say this, that the biblical view of a theistic God, remember theistic God, that God is the creator, that God is everything the Bible says he is. So the biblical view of a theistic God is rejected as the only authentic view of God. So what's that mean? Basically what it means is you are free, we are free to believe in God as we choose to believe in God. And when you tell someone that God is what the Bible says, theistic, that he is the creator, that he is holy, that he is all these things, you have no right to say that. And they would actually even tell you the Bible doesn't even teach that. And if it does teach that, it teaches that because the Bible itself is not inspired by God, nor is it inherent, inerrant by God. It has been, what I want to say, it has been uh, uh, overcome or, or uh, taken hostage by by the Again, the limited fundamentalists. They do not like fundamentalists. They don't like people who believe in the fundamentals of the Scripture. All right? So let's, let's look at some of the quotes here. God. The first one is Matthew Fox. And uh, he, wrote, he wrote what he calls the 95 Theses. It's kind of interesting. They don't want to, they don't want to believe in, in dogma, but then they write a 95 Theses about things. I, it makes no sense to me, but that's, that's just me. Uh, said, let's read what he says about God, all right, the Father. He says, God is both mother and father. At this present time in history, God is more mother than father because the feminine is, 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 most, missing, is most missing and is, and is important to bring gender back, balance back. God is always new, always young, and always in the beginning. God, the punitive father, is not a God worth honoring, but a false God and an idol that serves empire building. So you see what they teach. They teach that we teach, when we talk about the theistic God as being a God of judgment and holiness and stuff, they actually say that that God that we believe is not worth honoring. Okay? And he actually calls him a false God. It's almost unimaginable to me. We read on. The notion of a, pern- uh, of a punitive all male God is contrary to the full nature of the Godhood, who is as much female and motherly as it is, as it is masculine and fatherly. All the names we give to God come from an understanding of ourselves. He's quoting Eckhart there. Okay. Thus, people who worship a punitive father are them are, are themselves punitive. Theism. In quote, the idea that God is out there or above and beyond the universe is false. All things are in God, and God is in all things. In quote, there is panentheism. Okay, so they do not believe in a God who's above all, the Creator of all things. They believe in, in a God who is whose spirit basically is in all things, all living things, okay? 
Uh, I mean, the, uh, panentheism speaks about him being in, in living things, okay? Pantheism speaks about the Spirit of God being in everything, in rocks and trees and all those kind of things. But they would, he, he would say here that God is seen, uh, the Spirit of God is in everything. So Christ was a great example of the Spirit of God in man, along with other religious leaders being uh, great examples of the Spirit of, of God in them. But notice here what he does. He denies, he denies a God who is above all things. He, below, he denies a God that is individually above all things. Okay? And he denies God being a God of judgment. They, he, divide, he denies the theistic God that the Bible speaks about. Uh, he would teach that God is both male and female. Uh, and, I mean, you just go right on down the list that, that, he, says, that he says here. And God is not a, a, a literal God. Right? That is Matthew Fox. Now I want you to look at the quote from John Shelby Sponge, who, by the way, has been in this community and has taught at the Methodist Church here. He says this, So who is God? No one can finally say. I hope that sort of bothers you. Okay? So who is God? No one can finally say. That is not within human competence. All we can ever say is how we believe we have experienced God, doing our best to dispel our human delusions. Let me try to, to, just, to do just that. I experience God as the source of life, calling me to live fully and thus to respect life in every form as, as, as embodying the holy. And that's his description of God. Okay? We look, we'll look at him again. Here's what he says. The, the task of the church, for example, becomes less that of indoctrinating or relating people to an extent external divine power, and more that of providing opportunities for people to touch the infinite center of all things and to grow into all that they are designed or destined to be. So again, you have a denial of a personal God. And you are basically to find find a God that you believe in, that you choose to believe in. And remember this, that leaves the door open. That means there is no difference. It's, it's any dog, God that you find. It, it, so you have the God of the Bible, which, by the way, is denied. Okay, but you, it's okay to believe in, in the God of of, of the the uh, Islamic people, the God of the of the uh, Buddhist people, the God of the Shinto people. I'm going to go right on down the list. I know that most of you have probably seen the little the little bumper sticker on the back of some people's car that goes along with with progressive Christianity. And the word that they will use there is coexist. And they will use symbols to speak of that. And the point is that you are free, you and I are free to believe in the God that you choose to believe in. And the only way that you're anything less than believing in God, according to them, is that you would dare believe in the theistic God that the Bible speaks about. So here's what I want you to know. Progressive Christianity is an oxymoron. Christianity is not a good... I wish they would just be honest and say we're not Christian, but they won't do that. Okay? But their own doctrine teaches that. So they start with the teaching about God. Again, the biblical view of a theistic God is rejected as the only authentic view of God. So that's the one thing that's rejected. 
Okay? The Bible, you can just put it this way. The Bible does not have final authority. At best, the Bible, at best, the Bible will give you a glimpse of who God is, but it does not reveal who God is. And you, you shouldn't be surprised when it comes to Bishop Spong because he was also a part of what's called, uh, the, uh, the Bible where they, where they pretty much eliminate all the, all the, all the, uh, uh, quotes of Jesus, all the miracles of Jesus, all of those things. He was a part of that group of, of theologians who said the Bible's not true. Uh, what's the name of that, that Bible? That's it. No, there's a, I wish I'd have got that. I just lost my, it, it, they, they created a Bible where they pretty much said that Jesus did not say most of what the Bible says it said. Huh? Well, it is mysticism, but there's also, there's a, there's a translation of the Bible, and I'll try to get it for you, for, for you on that, okay? Well, let's go on to Jesus. And, uh, how important is Jesus to you? Well, for the progressive Christianity's, their view of Jesus, Jesus is not divine, nor is Jesus born of a virgin, nor is Jesus resurrected from the dead. He is a mystic who gave us an example to follow. So, uh, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have, uh, Kathy put a, a little about two and a half minute uh, clip on, on who Jesus is according to the Who is Jesus for the progressive movement? I think it's important to understand that we don't try and tell people what Jesus they ought to believe in, although there are many Jesuses as we look at the wide spectrum of Christian belief. I can share probably what most of the people in our part of the progressive movement believe in Jesus. Certainly it would be my own explanation. And that is that Jesus was a human being born 2,000 years ago in some village in Galilee. He was a fully human person who had a fully divine experience or series of experiences. How he got there is open for question. My belief is that he was a serious uh, spiritual teacher that began to teach after he had had many of his own experiences of the divine, many of his own experiences of the godness or godliness his own experiences that actually changed the way he saw the world, the way he saw reality, and began to realize that there were no enemies, that there were no strangers, that there were no people that were different than him in terms of the fact that all of us have that godness or that divine within us. And so he gave us lessons of how to move towards such an understanding of reality. I believe he called that being awake. He uses that a lot, but it requires us to make dramatic changes, for most of us at least. I do believe some people may be born that way. But for most of us, we begin to, to move towards seeing others as something similar to us, searching for the divine in each of us. And when we find the divine in the other, it's probably the easiest way to find the divine in us. So Jesus was a teacher who taught us how to move towards something very special, to be awake and to find heaven here on earth, to find the kingdom, he may have called it, but certainly to have an experience of the oneness of life where all duality disappears. 
where all boundaries and divisions, where all tribes disappear. And we begin to operate in a very different way in our lives. That is Fred Plummer. He's the president of ProgressiveChristianity.org. And you can find, by the way, you can go on, on, I got this off YouTube, you can get about Jesus, about, I mean, two to three minute things about Jesus, about God, about the Bible. You can go on and look at them yourself. I hope that you can see there's something very disturbing about what he said about Jesus. And if you miss that, then you and I probably need to talk about whether or not you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And I don't say that to put anybody down at all. This is so crucial. It, it ought to be extremely, extremely disturbing to you. One of the people have asked me before, why don't we do the Resurrection Sunday with these Greek, this group of people? Why don't we do worship services with these people? Because they don't worship Jesus. And they deny the, cru- the crucial doctrines of who Jesus is. He made it very clear that he does not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, but that he had some sort of God essence that, that all of us have. Uh, the Bible says that we're all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. They're not godliness in us that make us right with God. It's because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that you and I are made right. Please don't. don't. It sounds sweet. It sounds wonderful. Teresa, go ahead. The question is, is there a book? Is there a teaching? It may surprise you how often they use the Bible. But they use the Bible uh, on, on certain points of the Bible. But if you were to ask them, do they believe the Bible is inspired, the answer would be no. Do you believe the Bible is infallible? It's no. They deny that, the, that, that, that Paul wrote what Paul wrote. Okay? And so most of the writings that they'll, they'll I've heard some of them, as I was preparing some of them, they will quote guys that, that actually we quoted in, in, in Bible classes and stuff who were heretics way back when. You know, who, who defied what the scripture said and stuff. But they will use these guys. They'll use stuff like, uh, you can go back and you can do some of the teachings that you'll find. The earliest stuff has to do with, with the, with the, uh, Gnostic gospels and stuff about Jesus. But also the traditions through the church of some of the modern Christian, they call them modern Christian thinkers like Feuerbach and different guys like this, who are denying the essentials of the scripture, but, but somehow have got it. And for the, for progressive Christianity, it, it really has found its its basis in the uh, in the Enlightenment years of the Church, which also would include the breakthroughs of science, which would include like Darwin and evolution and the marriage of of those type of teachings within the Church, and and for the for the Bible to say certain things, they would say would show you that the Bible cannot possibly be true because you know they would deny creation. You know, so, yeah. So, there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot of, of, of background books and, and things that you can read. Um, but it's, it's almost incredible because then if you'd say, could you tell us what you actually believe, their response will be, we don't have doctrine. We don't have anything written down that you have to believe. But you certainly can't trust this. You can't be dogmatic about this. It's really hard to have a discussion with these guys. 
It, it really is hard to, to deal with someone like that. And I've seen, I've actually seen the debates with, with Bishop Sponge along with Bible-believing teachers, including, uh, uh, I, I believe, uh, uh, Walter Martin, who used to be the Bible Answer Man, uh, and, and also Dave Hunt. And, the, you know, what do you do when you say, somebody, say to somebody, you know what, the Bible teaches that there's a resurrection, and they, they would say to you, but the Bible's filled with a bunch of error, so it doesn't really, quote, matter what the Bible says. We've already decided it's not true. So I guess what I'm saying to you is you really can't debate with them. You really can't. Someone has asked me before, well, what about the, the pastor here at the Methodist Church? Why don't you, the, you know, debate? Why don't you do? And there, there's no debate. To have it, bless you, to have a bait, you, debate, you have to ha- have a, a starting point. And when, you know, I've had people tell me before when I said to them, I thought they were Christian, and I said to them before, I said, well, the Bible says this. And their response to me has been, well, don't you understand that the Bible is filled with fables and, and, and metaphors and, and those things? And I said, well, you know what? Our discussion through. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, we're, in two, we're, we're looking at two different things altogether. My final authority is the Word of God. If you don't believe the Word of God, there's no reason for us to debate. And that kind of debate will go nowhere. Everybody understand that? And it's real important that we understand it. You can get in arguments with these people, but they're as lost as they can be because they have rejected the Word of God. They've, ju- they've rejected God Himself, and they have rejected the Son of God according to what the Bible says. And they become, basically, Teresa, the, they become their own final authority. And any authorita- authoritative approach to the Scripture, to them, is, is from a place, from their view, is from a place of ignorance and, and barbaric. Okay, so for us to be equipped is what's important is what I'm telling you. Not so much to debate these false teachers. They're not going to listen anyway. But who knows, you may run across somebody who's heard them. And you may have an opportunity to say, you know what, the Bible doesn't say that. All right? And I know there's a bunch of examples you all can give me, but i got to move on. So, so I appreciate that. Uh, let's go, let's look, look on what they teach about Jesus, Okay. Uh, this one would be Matthew Fox again from his 95 theses. He says, Christians must distinguish between Jesus as an historical figure and Christ. Now listen, what's that? And Christ, the experience of God in all things. Everybody got that? Jesus is not the Christ. The Christ is the, it's, it's almost New Age. We've studied New Age before. That the Spirit of Christ is in all things. And that we must get to a place where we distinguish between the historical man called Jesus and the Christ who is in all things. He goes on to say, Jesus, not unlike many spiritual leaders, taught us that we are sons and daughters of God and are to act accordingly by becoming instruments of divine compassion. So the evidence is compassion. I want you to see the the, the blending here. Are we to take care of the poor? Are we to love those who have needs? Are we to have compassion for those who need to be compassionate? Yes. But it needs to be based upon a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And what they are saying is that Jesus is our great example of that. He's not our redeemer. He's not our savior. He did not sacrifice himself upon the cross. He's not God in the flesh. He's no more son of God than you are son or daughter of God. And he came to give us an example of how to be close to God by by letting the God essence work through us it's a denial of our need of jesus it's a denial of jesus 
And you remember what John said. What did he say? If someone comes to you and he denies Christ, he is anti-Christ. And you are not to sit down with them. You are not to share a meal with them. You are not to agree with them. You are to stand in the truth. All right? So Jesus. All right? When I was preparing this, I could have given you bunches and bunches of things I'm about to do. But what I had to do is I had to say, you know what? Because time, I've got to deal with several different things. So we start. We deal with Jesus, okay? Now, now let, let me deal with, with uh, progressive Christianity's statements on important doctrines. Across the board, the traditional view of, of doctrinal truth is either denied or seen as unimportant. Okay? So there, there is no authority. They are their own authority. So let's look at a couple of these things, or a few of these things that, that you ought to keep in mind. On the resurrection, let me remind you, church, the resurrection, you don't need to say biblically that someone has, 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 is full bodily resurrection. Because biblically, the term resurrection means that they are full bodily resurrected. There's no such thing as spiritual resurrection. When we speak of the resurrection, we're talking about that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? So, on the resurrection, uh, Bishop Sponge again. In the resurrection of Jesus... Oh, excuse me, if the resurrection of Jesus cannot be believed except by assenting to the fantastic descriptions, including in the Gospels, then Christianity is doomed. For that view of the resurrection is not believable. You hear what he's saying? The resurrection described in the Word of God is not believable. And if that is all there is, then Christianity, which depends upon the truth and authenticity of Jesus' resurrection, also is not believable. Okay? Everybody got that? Wow. On salvation, on the need of salvation, David Felton, who is the pastor of the Methodist Church here in Fountain Hills, and he has written a book. It was in the paper a couple, I'll just give you a little background. It was in the paper, I think, almost a month ago in the, in the Scottsdale section of the Arizona Republic. It was a four-page thing, him and another guy that you'll see in here, uh, and, and promoting a progressive Christianity and, and, and what it means. Uh, it's just crazy. And, and here's what he says, on the need for salvation. The church's main product traditionally has been salvation. But if you take away the fall and redemption, there is nothing left to sell. What's the point? That we have been teaching about salvation. We've been teaching about the fall of man. And he clearly teaches that there is no such thing as the fall of man. There is no Garden of Eden. There is no Adam and Eve. There is no fall of man. It's just used by the narrow-minded religious people to manipulate people, and that's not what our message is about. On the blood atonement and hell, this is also Felton and his co-author in his book, Jeff Proctor Murphy, and here's what he says. Most Christians have bought into the idea that we have so ticked off the creator of the universe that God is willing to torture us for eternity if we don't believe in the right things. And seemingly, the only way we can get out of this is if we accept the idea of a bloodthirsty God require, uh, uh, that of a bloodthirsty God requires blood to be spilled in order for our 
for us to be accepted. Most people have a hard time agreeing with that primitive idea. You understand the blood atonement is completely denied. And actually, to teach it is to teach that all we have in God is a bloodthirsty God. The Methodist church is pretty well packed. And many pastors in this community are afraid to stand up against this guy. It's a sad time that we live in. On the scripture, Bishop Sponge again. I could not believe that anyone who has read this book would be so foolish as to proclaim that the Bible in that the Bible in every in every literal word was divinely inspired, inerrant word of God. Has these have these people simply not read the text? Are they hopelessly misinformed? Is there a different Bible? Are they blinded by a, a combination of ego needs and naive? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You see what he's saying there? Could you possibly believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Can you possibly believe that it is the inerrant word of God? On original sin. Matthew Fox. He says, original sin is, is an ultimate expression of a punitive father God and is not a biblical teaching. But original blessing, goodness, and grace is biblical. So there's no such thing as original sin. Goes on and talking about this, and this is David Felton, the pastor over here. He says, he says, we have outgrown original sin. Adam and Eve were metaphors, not literal people. And the garden narr- narrative is mythologic, mythical. That's a sermon that he did in, in uh, February of this year. Talking about those things. Uh, in that sermon, he, he, he said that I was trying to make him a Baptist. Which is not true. I love for him to be born again, though. Yeah. On sexuality. Matthew Fox. Since homosexuality is found among 464 species. I don't know where he gets these numbers at. But 464 species. And in 8% of any given human population, it is altogether natural for those who are born that way, and it is a gift from God and nature to the greater community. Homophobia is, in, in any form, is a serious sin against love, against love of neighbor, a sin of ignorance of, of the richness and the diversity of God's creation, as well as the sin of exclusion. So, homosexuality, sodomy, uh, these improper, unnatural relationships are not sins at all. But to speak against them is actually the sin. That's what he's saying right here. Well, let's break this down. And there are 12 points as you look at the matter of, of progressive Christianity. And these are 12 points that were put out by Bishop Sponge. When asked, what is progressive Christianity and how do we live it? What's it all about? So there are 12 points. So let's look at those 12 points that he gets. The first one, theism, is a way of defining God, as a way of defining God is dead. So most theological God talk is today meaningless. A new way to speak of God must be found. 
the second one. Since God can no longer be conceived in theistic terms, it becomes nonsensical to seek to understand Jesus as the incarnation of the theistic deity. So the Christology of the age is bankrupt. Do you understand what he just said? Denies the deity of Jesus Christ, denies the incarnation. This is not Christianity, folks. Number three, the biblical story of the perfect and finished creation from which human beings fell into sin is pre-Darwinian mythology and post-Darwinian nonsense. So final authority is who? Darwin. And the belief in creationism, what's he call it? Mythology and nonsense. The virgin birth, understood as literally as literal biology, makes Christ's divinity as traditionally understood impossible. The miracle stories of the New Testament can no longer be interpreted in a post Newtonian world as supernatural events performed by an incarnate deity. So a denial of the miracles, again, and a denial of the incarnation and the deity of Jesus Christ. Anybody feeling kind of ill right now? Good. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. The view of the cross as a sacrifice for sins of the world is a barbarian idea based on a primitive on primitive concepts of God and must be look what he says and must be dismissed these are the times we're in that Paul spoke about that Peter spoke about that John spoke about that Jesus warned us about but they're being accepted across the board and as I said as I began they're being accepted the nomination means nothing anymore the idea is to be involved in progressive Christianity that sets aside uh, traditional biblical truth. Uh, and it doesn't matter what your, what your denomination is anymore. Number seven, re- resurrection is an action of God. Jesus was raised into the meaning of God. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus was raised into the meaning of God. It therefore cannot be a physical resuscitation occurring inside human history. A denial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of the ascension assumed a three-tier universe and is therefore not capable of being translated into the concept of a post... uh, Thank you. Space age. So the... Well, the point is that that the ascension did not happen. Could not happen. So what's he doing? He's naming all these historical scientific people. Yeah. Number nine. There is there is no external objective revealed standard written in scripture or on tablets of stone that will govern our ethical behavior for all time. Yeah. You understand that? No. The point is no final authority. So he he slams the Ten Commandments. He he slams scripture, and he and he says. Uh, they, nothing in there will govern our... And so, you know, basically it is this idea that anything per, pretty well goes. 
if you think it's okay, it's relative. You follow the God you want to follow. You live any kind of lifestyle that you want to live. You do what any anything you want to do, and it's okay. Yeah. But we don't play poker, right? I know. All right. All right. Number ten. Prayer cannot be a request made to a theistic deity to act in human history in any particular way. Everybody understand that? Prayer is meaningless. Because there's nowhere to go to. That's right. All right. Number eleven. The hope of life after death must be separated forever from the behavior-controlled mentality of reward and punishment. The church must abandon, therefore, its reliance on guilt as a motivator of behavior. Okay? It's kind of... They would believe... I would would tell you that most progressive Christians believe in universalism that I spoke about today. Everybody's going to go into eternity, whatever it looks like. But you're not going into eternity to be with God because there is no singular God out there. Okay? Number ten. All human beings bear God's image and must be respected for what each person is. Therefore, no external description of one's being, whether it be based on race, ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation, can probably be used as a basis for either rejection or discrimination. Almost sounds like one of the legislators did that one, you know. But uh, but understand this: they they these quote theologians are attacking the church with these statements. It's not a political thing. They're attacking the church with these statements, and so the church has no right to do these things. I wanted to close our time out. You know, it's almost seven o'clock. I wanted to uh, close our time out with just a compli- I want to give you a con- concise comparison between between this uh, uh, progressive Christianity. And I hope you notice, in the, at least in the title, that I put little quotes around progressive Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so what's the Bible say? What does progressive Christianity teach? All right. Number one, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to God. I'll give you a verse there, John 14, 6. Progressives believe that Jesus is one of many ways to God. Okay? Difference there? Significant difference? Of course. Number two, the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Quoting Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Progressives believe that the Bible should not be taken literally. Because it's, it's, it has faults in it. It has errors in it. Okay? Number three, the Bible teaches that men, human beings, must be born again and saved through God's grace only. John chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2. Progressives believe that there is one eventual, that, that one is eventually saved through good works. Well, they probably would not use the term saved. Okay. Number four, only those who receive Christ can be called the children of God. John chapter one. Progressives believe that all people are already the children of God. And you'll hear statements that, that I've talked about before in my sermon where people say 
the brotherhood of mankind and the fatherhood of God. All people are brothers and we're all the children of God. And I, and I remind you, that's not true biblically. Not all people are the children of God in spite of what they say. Only those who know Jesus Christ are the children of God. Only those who are born again are the children of God. All people are created by God, but not all people know God as their father. Everybody got that? We come into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and it's the only way that we're made the children of God. Number five, Bible teaches absolute truth and not up to and it's not up to private interpretation of its writers. John chapter 17, Second Peter chapter 1. Progressives believe that there is no absolute truth. Whatever, but whatever your truth is, is considered truth. Number six. We are to make disciples of the whole nation or the whole world. Matthew chapter 28. Progressives believe that since only God can draw man to himself then we are not to be involved in converting people. In other words, you have no right to say you have to believe in Jesus. You have no right to do evangelism. You have no right to make disciples. Only God can do those things. Number seven, homosexuality is a sin. Leviticus chapter 8, Romans chapter 1. Uh, you can, what we did this morning, what, what in our class, what was that? That was... Uh, First Timothy talked about that also. I mean, you know, progressives refuse to believe that the Bible ever teaches this belief. That somehow the scriptures are misunderstood and taken out of context. Or that the abomination against homosexuality does not apply to our time. Admonition. Thank you. Admonition. Number eight. God created male and female with different purposes. Ephesians chapter 5. Progressives believe that there, is no, there are no boundaries in genders. Women are told not to submit to anyone. Number nine. God created the universe. Genesis chapter 1. one. Progressives believe, believe evolution is not compatible to Christianity. Oh, not incompatible. Thank you. So, they believe that True Christians, what they call Christians, would actually believe in evolution. Okay, number 10. God never changes. Malachi chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 13. But progressives believe that God's word changes with societal changes. A lot of information. And I'll answer a couple of questions. Uh, Good question. Yes, a lot. He, the question is, is this the emergent church? Maybe you've heard of the emergent church. And yes, there are many in the emergent churches that go along with this very same thing. With this very same thing. When a progressive Christian dies, where do they go? Well, nowhere. Where do, where do progressive, the question is, where do progressive Christians go? Where do they go? They are, they are caught up, it almost sounds to me, like New Age, they're caught up into the essence of of, of the of the, the God presence, but not into the presence of a personal God. Well, good works are evidence. Good works are evidence to them that you've got the message. They prove that that you are following the the God 
presence or the God, the deity of God in your life. That's, and Jesus did it well. Muhammad did it well. Buddha did it well. Krishna did it well. And you could do it well, too. And that's the essence of, of living the life that, that reveals our Christianity. But they would also tell you, but Jesus is not the only way. There are many ways to God. Okay? And, and, and it's not so much believing in any of these people. It's following their example of the Christ essence that's in, within all of them. And how do they determine what's good? Well. Why is it good to not kill somebody? Well. What do they have that, why is it good? What's good? They are their final authority. The question is what is good? And the answer is that they are their final authority. Yes, Lauren. No. No. They're not, but this is, uh, what I'm saying is they're okay the same way, same beliefs is what you're going to need. Well, in some, and that's why I said in, in some of these things, yes, it, 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 sounds, it sounds much of what, what the, the, the very liberal approach to, to even our own society. Yes, those things are tied in there. But what it is, what it, here's the evidence, guys. Whether we're talking about politically this way or we're talking religiously this way, it's a denial of the authority of God for mankind. And so the, the essence of that is, okay, if we as a people, again, either in the church or in the political realm or anything like that, once we deny the essence of who God is, his authority in his life, and the, and the trustworthy of his word, then we'll believe anything. And we'll reject him uh, in that way. No. I, I, let me just throw this out. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I have never had anybody in 30 years tell me something about some tax law that tells me that I can't preach the Word of God. Not one time. Not one time. And so, in America, that's not true. I'm going to tell people that's not true in America. Now, could it change? It could. But But for someone to say that... Because of tax laws, they've been told that they can't preach against homosexuality. They can't preach against this. That's not true, guys. Not yet, anyways. And if we say that it's true, then we're telling, we're, we're giving a wrong impression of what's going on. Everybody, I, it's real important because we, when we deal with this world, we want to deal with this world honestly. We are not threatened yet. Are there groups that are promoting that? Yes. And, and could we move to that? Yes. 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 Well, they're, they're, the, the evil is, you, you can almost go to, 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 to the first century Gnostic group. The evil is that we are ignorant. Ignorance represents evil. Their idea of that which is not ignorant is open-mindedness to all things. But our ignorance is that, that, that we would dare say to someone that, that God is a God of judgment. We would dare say that God is a, is a bloody God who would require a blood, blood sacrifice. I mean, and, and they would say that's ignorant. And that ignorance to them basically is what's evil. Not any action except for, you know, denying those things. Yeah, the question was, you know, debating those who have, who have given themselves over to complete foolishness. That we're warned about not getting these long debates with these kind of people and stuff. 
What do we need to be sharing? We need to be sharing the truth. The truth. But here's, here's the sad thing. The saddest thing from, from my perspective, and I don't mean to be mean, but I'm not sad over these false teachers. Many of them have already decided what they're going to do. I'm sad of the people that are listening to these false teachers and, and they're believing these things because someone of authority in the religious system had told them these things are true. And, they're, and you know, it is the blind leading the blind. But here's the sad thing. To, in my, from my perspective, this is the willful blind leading the blind that are the ignorant blind or the, or the blind that are unaware. That's the sad thing. Okay. Okay, now, yeah, and it, the question is, in light of that, is there going to be a Christian sunrise service this year? Yes, there is. Uh, I've been praying about this for a while. I asked the the group of pastors to to send me a list of those who were involved in the ministerial alliance. Got the list. We cannot join with them. We cannot. So, first answer is no. I'm not, as a pastor, going to promote for our church the sunrise service at the park. But the next day after, I was just so heavy with this, and, and the next day I get a call from the pastor over here at North Chapel, and he says, Tony, what do you think about having a sunrise service for the Bible-believing churches here in Fountain Hills? What do you think about this year we'll do it in our parking lot? And, Tony, you can be the main speaker. Next year we'll do it in your parking lot. Next year we'll do it in Calvary. So, I meet with them tomorrow for lunch, uh, North Chapel, Calvary Chapel, and myself, and we are going to be putting together. So we will have a sunrise service. The other thing that's going to come out of this is that we are going to start putting together a, an evangelical ministerial alliance. And I believe that some of the pastors that are involved in the other ministerial alliance will come, come over. And the reason I believe, believe that is because... Once you've established and opened it up to everybody, it's hard to tell someone that they can't be a part of it anymore because they have as much say as anybody else on that thing. And so even the apostates and the false teachers that are involved in a ministerial line, they're still involved in the ministerial line. They're still making decisions. Therefore, that's why I pulled out, and we're going we're gonna to be working together to establish a, an evangelical ministerial alliance where we can have a group of pastors that encourage and support each other. That, that may be a thought in the future, but because of time, this year we're going to do it at the parking lot right down here outside of North Chapel, and we will we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is the craziest thing. You got that's a huge question. Why why would you go and do you know why would you go and do a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ when you don't believe? They they will tell you we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We just don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus was raised spiritually, and you too can be raised spiritually. But it, but it really has no impact on... His resurrection has no impact upon your resurrection. For the same reason they go on Easter egg hunts. Tradition. Well, yeah. All right. So, we've, we've looked at together the, the Word of Faith group. We've seen the impact that that has on the church, I think. But even more troublesome to me is the thing that we talked about tonight. Because this is, this is the trend, church. This is the trend. This is where people are going. Okay. Uh, churches across the board, 
depending on the size and the stature of the churches, are looking to those who carry a lot of the the degrees, the doctorates, and all these. And there are many, even Baptists, that won't even look at a guy unless he has a doctorate. So there's nothing wrong with, with having a doctorate. We should be educated. But we ought to be more concerned about our pastors who spend time with the Lord than what their sheepskin shows. Okay? We've got to be very careful with this. Okay? And that's not, I know some wonderful men that have their doctorate, and they're, they're just godly men. You know, they're wonderful men. But sometimes the church has lost the sense of, of what it means to follow him. Go ahead. Psalm 119, 98, 99. Go ahead. And 100? And 101, yeah. Let's see what, it, let's see what he says here. Psalm 119. 98, 99. And a hundred. Well, we might as well start with 97. It starts the phrase there. So I said, says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with, with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because... I keep your precepts. We're grounded in the Word of God. Many of these teachers, and I'm going to close with this thought because we're really out of time. But many of these teachers want to tell you, don't you know that in the first, second, third, fourth centuries that we had these teachers who clarified all these for us? That, that Paul was wrong, John was wrong, James was wrong. They didn't quite get it. So these First, second, third, fourth century teachers came along and they clarified it for us. And they called them the church fathers. And I've heard them say before is, but the church fathers said this. And my response to them is this. Who cares? <laughs> the church fathers do not have authority over the word of God. You understand that? It was Paul who said, already everybody has already left me. I don't care what... what apostates taught in the first, second, third, or fourth century. And that they did it in the first, second, third, or fourth century <coughs> does not change what the truth is. No more than the apostates that are here today. We are people of the Word. We have one authority. If it's not true, I don't know what else is true. And if it's not true, I don't even know what else matters. But I want you to know we have one source of authority. It is true. It's inspired by God himself. It's God's word. It's inerrant. And it is everything we need for life and for the practice of our faith. That's bottom line. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that as your son promised that you would not leave us as orphans. That we're not on this on our own. And we're not here just discovering things on our own by our own intellect or by our own spirituality. Or by our own sense of what is good and right and moral. But you left us your truth. You inspired men to, that have come before us that, to, to write these truths so that we would have what you say in every area of life. And, Father, we, we acknowledge that we can't even understand what this precious book says except by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's not even possible for us unless we've been born again. 
And so we as a church, we thank you for your precious son who did die for our sin, who did shed his blood, who was buried and who three days later literally rose from the dead. And we trust in Jesus alone. We do not trust in our good, our own goodness, our own knowledge. We don't trust in our own intellect. We don't trust in, in what those who've gone before us have said that, that is contrary to what your word actually says. They hold no authority in our lives. We trust you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. We pray that you protect your church in these days. Give us awareness of those who would speak out that which is false. And, Father, help us to know that you haven't called us to defend your, to defend what your word says, but to share what your word says. For your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to go to the depths of our being. So, Lord, help us to trust your word under the power of your Holy Spirit to touch people's life. And let us stand in your truth. And in